0: Uh yeah. That's uh, better. Are you? I think. All right, you're we good. We good. All right. We we live right now? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, okay. Well shoot man. Welcome to another episode of We're Not The Same. This is episode what?
0: 5? Five? 5 or 6, six now? 6. Yep. Yeah,
1: see we we're making moves over here man. Uh, I got my Sha- my guy Shaq with me of course alongside with a very very special guest. Freshly promoted associate head coach of the University of Washington Huskies. Go dogs, right? Um Seattle high school hoops legend with uh, I think it was what like four straight uh, state championships at Garfield Mm-hmm. um d league sportsmanship award winner i mean we'd be here all day if i rattled off all this man's accomplishment of course i'm talking about none other than will conroy chill how you doing brother
2: i'm doing good man thanks for having me thanks for having. yeah me.
1: absolutely man thanks for thanks for joining us man straight out the gate man we got to talk about the most important things in life man and that's the little ones man mm-hmm. uh you know i've been doing my research on you man you you got some athletes man Tell Me about that, man. Your daughter's looking like Usain Bolt out here dusting the competition on the track.
2: I'm not taking none of the credit, man. I, <laughs> I won't because I, I want to get let into my house when I get home, so right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it all to the wife, right? That's <laughs> fine. I just make sure they work, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, chill, and, and for you, you guys that don't know, chill is uh Will Conroy's nickname up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, of course, um. I think I'm gonna be retiring here in about eight years, and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going for that Arizona State, you know, <laughs> coaching staff. And the first thing I'm doing, I'm getting on, I'm getting on. Uh, Chill Conroy Jr. You anything you want to tell us about us? I mean, or tell us about him? You know, Steph alluded that he he learned two new moves watching him. Like, is it crazy seeing his progress at such a young age?
2: You know what is crazy? It's crazy to see. Um, how many um media sites pick him to promote him um because you know there's a million kids playing this game and, and then you know they find one and one turns out to be a media darling mm-hmm. and it's just crazy that, like um for him he's just one of those kid faces that uh, the other kids like you know I, we went to uh Green Lake Park the other day, just to play outside on a Sunday, and just a random Sunday. And we're we're hooping and we're obviously play, he's playing with the older guys, and they're fouling him, beating him up, which is great. And then afterwards, I mean, he figures it out, starts getting a couple of baskets, and then there's an audience standing there watching his hoop. And every time he scores, they're cheering for him. And then afterwards, there's there's middle school and high school kids asking to take pictures. Can't make this crap up, man.
1: Can't. <laughs> was, what, that what? The, was that the intro? Huh? Was that the was that the intro to like the media? Like, you know, he kind of like was like his coming
2: out party? No, I think we did uh what's crazy is so I have maybe when he was four, he was four, and you can look on my Instagram page. I have posted him doing uh elbow to elbow slide jump shots. He was four or five. I think he went nine out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10. And then that went viral. And then like a, I can't remember what big site picked it up. And it was like dad goals. And then maybe, maybe six or seven months later, he dunked on a neighbor and they put that on like uh slam. It, it hit every website. So then that kind of started it a little bit then, but just, you know, the foundations of everyday drilling, working, drilling, uh, doing all of that stuff and then we we get to uh ebc camp uh Ballers life camp last year and and it was the first time it, like you know where a, a bunch of uh media publications was there and he 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 had a pretty good camp and uh they they posted that big video and all the nba guys responded to it and it was pretty
0: mm-hmm. awesome how many hours a day do you say you guys get it in
2: Man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you you, you read the book by Malcolm Gladwell. Which 10, one? 10,000 hours. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 for
2: sure. sure. I'm trying to get 10,000 hours. Gotcha. He said, if you get 10,000 hours before you're 20 years old, you can perfect your craft.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I remember being with Kobe, he wanted to get 20,000 hours.
0: <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you about uh, speaking to your Instagram. You had a post right. um, when you were playing, you know, preseason summer league with the Lakers and you spoke to Kobe's work ethic. Um, do you got any stories or anything that you want to allude to to just how insane he was?
2: I just remember, and I tell my guy, I tell my players this. I remember all all the guys who, the rookies that they just drafted, was Andrew Bynum, it was uh, Va- uh, Von Wafer, and then uh, Smush Parker, had they had just signed him to a free agent deal. Myself, and I think Devin Green, uh, out of a uh, HBCU they just signed all of us to come in to, to, to camp now I was a big big Kobe fan in college me and Brandon Roy was so when I as part of the decision why I decided to go to Los Angeles for a training camp when I could have went to like four or five different teams probably could have had a better opportunity of making a team but I wanted to see him up close and personal and you know I didn't want to Obviously, it was real, but I wanted to get close to it and see what it looked like. And uh, um, I remember one morning coming in, <laughs> coming in, and we stayed at the hotel in Shaq Island. You worked out for the Lakers before?
0: Not, not LA, not LA.
2: So, so the, the practice facility, the hotel that they made, all the people that was trying to make the team was right behind the practice facility. So it was a 50-50-50-yard 50, 50, 50 walk. So I remember waking up really early one morning and I'm like practice started like 10, 11, whatever it was. It was later. Uh, we had, we had a lot of vets. So I remember waking up at like eight in the morning. I was like, man, I'm gonna be the first one in the gym. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the first one. in the I'm gonna show them that I belong. <laughs> I walk over and The gate opens. It lets me in the gate. And uh, I see an exotic car. I don't even remember if it had his name or whatever, his thing on his plates, but I'm like, okay, somebody in there, maybe somebody in there getting treatment. Now remember, I'm 21, 21, I'm 21. So I get in there and uh, (laughs) my man is in there box jumping in a full sweat, like like jumping on a box like a medicine ball, all right? So, So I'm like, oh, hell no, he beat me to the gym. So, uh, I, I go up and ask our uh, athletic trainer. I'm like, "Man, I know this dude's not. Like, this dude, at this point, he was considered the best player in the world. So I, I, I go to our box trainer. I'm like, I mean, our uh, trainer. I'm like, "Hey, how long is he here? I'm like, How long has he been here? How long has he been here?" And he was like, "He's already ate breakfast. He's already lifted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Crazy. So, That's...
2: so he didn't say nothing to me." Right? He didn't say nothing to me. So about maybe like a week later, I think he and we in the we in a locker room. We're we together in the locker room. Now mind you, he he wasn't really he wasn't just gonna go out his way to speak to you, but I was kind of scared to speak to him. So he was like, Hey, you thought you was gonna beat me to the gym? <laughs> <laughs> I did. He was like, Never, <laughs> never.
1: That's, That's the one thing about Kobe, though. Like you hear like anybody. Anybody that's been around Kobe that's been on the same team or like had a workout with him or something like that, they're always talking about even guys that uh, I guess, you know, were playing the Lakers, um, whether that be on the road or at home. And they try to get a you know workout in before the game, or even the day before the game. You know, try to come early and all that stuff. This is always this always seems to be the same story. Like you try to beat Kobe, or you try to be the first one in the gym, and Kobe is just always in there. And it's not just oh he beat you by like a couple of minutes. No, he's already got a full workout in two hours, three hours, whatever. And it'd be like four in the morning, six in the morning, whatever it
2: is. I remember coming in there one morning and watching my man. He was he was working out with Craig Hodges. And for mm. an hour straight, he shot the same shot on the elbow. Not nothing different. Not no other footwork, no other pivot, no other pump fake. It was catch, inside, pivot, release. Catch inside pivot release. I was like, holy shit is yeah, this not yeah. for real. Yeah. But he respected me because he seen he seen that I had the same type of eager, man, not the same talent, but he seen that I had the same kind of work at the that he has so I will go down there even after the practice I will go down there and I will shag rebounds for him kicking the balls like he 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 let me come down there because he saw my work ethic.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna speak on that a little bit later, man. Your work ethic, obviously, that's a you know the 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 success is a is a testament to all of that. You know, we're gonna <laughs> get into that a little bit later. Uh, I do want to shout out Craig Hodges though, man, uh, legendary shooter, man, definitely good guy. Um, I played against the son in Germany, so it, it's kind of crazy. And you played in Germany as well I did. Um, for Bayreuth, which is actually my first, like, my rookie year. That was my yeah. first club or oh, whatever. Wow. So, wow. yeah, it's crazy how how small this basketball world is, man. Absolutely. Small yeah. fraternity, man. Small yeah, yeah, for tony. sure.
0: And, okay, Garfield High School, Purple, UW Purple. Is it safe to say that you bleed purple? And are you a UW Superfan? fan?
2: It, it, it's safe to say, and I went to Washington Middle School, which is all gotcha. on the same street, all on the same street. No, it, it's it's safe to say that uh, I am a super fan. If you ever watch me watch our football team play, you think I play football here? I, I'm in <laughs> on that stuff, man. It's just you know, I'm really passionate on what I love and what I believe in. So if if you're part of that, you're gonna be a part of my passionate, my my my. <clears throat> You're going to be in that. So if I, if you, if you, what I believe in, whether it's my kids, my family, my players, they can feel that for me. So that's what it is. So you was
1: all in on UW even before, um, before you were old enough to play there before you were in high school and everything like that. Like you grew up in UW. UW,
2: I love UW football. I used to play football for for a very long time. I love UW football when I was little and Napoleon Kaufman, Jay Berry, Corey Dillon, uh, I, I remember I used to get – we used to play football in the neighborhood. I used to always say their names when I got the ball. Corey Dillon
0: or mm-hmm.
2: Napoleon Kaufman. Mm-hmm. So I always loved UW football. Uh, that's when I was more thinking I would play football. But then once I got to high school, you know, you start seeing uh, the Fab Five. You start seeing all of these, you know, programs. And you're like, man, okay, college basketball. And then Iverson was at Georgetown.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: start seeing these programs. You're like, man, I kind of want to do that. Uh, But then as I got older, like my junior year and I start, you know, start thinking about like putting your city on your back and like representing your town and, and and why is UW basketball not that good and all of that stuff. You're like, man, I I go down there and get it. I can make us good. Uh, So then my senior year uh, they recruited me my junior summer hard coach Byron Boudreaux. Uh, They didn't offer me until late in the summer but then I, I wasn't ready to make a decision. Nobody knows this. I wasn't ready to make a decision. I kind of wanted to wait till I want to be a late, you know, commit. And then they used the last scholarship. So, um, on my profile, it says walk on mm-hmm. what happened was, what happened was I didn't take the scholarship. So they signed, they, they signed like their fourth or fifth guy. It may have been, I think the last signee was maybe Mike Jensen or maybe Anthony Washington. And, uh, and then later in the year, we were playing Franklin High School at Franklin. And Aaron Brooks was a sophomore. Mm. I had a really good game in the UW. Oregon uh-huh. Aaron Brooks. Oregon Aaron Brooks. Yeah. He was a sophomore. And the UW coaching staff was there. And I had a really big game. And then after the game, I hadn't talked to Coach Boudreau in a while. He called me the next morning and he was like, Hey man, you ready to be a husky? Stop playing. So so at that point, I was kind of like, Pitt was recruiting me, Xavier was recruiting me, uh, some other schools from out, out of the area. And I was like, man, I'm not taking no visits that far. I'm like, I'm not going that damn far. Like it was right. like coming on a visit, I was like, not happening. So uh, so I'm like, Coach Boo, you ain't got no scholarships. He was like, man, don't worry about that. We can figure that part out. You're a, you're an in-state dude. We uh you guys can get to we, we can figure out a ways to get to tuition raise for you to play. So that's how that worked out, and I ended up walking on here. But what happened was, Anthony Washington did uh, scholastically. It didn't work out for him, so I was able to take his scholarship mm-hmm. before day one even started. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's
1: love. But even but even if it hadn't, right? You, I mean, it was just whatever was on the paper. Like you were basically a full ride athlete. Yeah,
2: it was a, just a matter okay. of time. It was just a matter of time
1: that's love that i'm sure that gives you a lot of confidence too coming from a you know from a prestigious institution like that you know where they're just like man we're gonna make it work no matter what like don't even worry about it you know that that's the kind of confidence that you would need as an incoming freshman
2: right it, it does but when you when you're that young you green to everything you don't know man you, mm. just, you just walking and talking and you don't you don't pay attention. Yeah. like now as i'm a coach and i know the background of it and having to be able to find finances and donors and all of this stuff, now that I know all this stuff I, and no one was behind it, I would have thought a little different then. But back then, you just you walking around, you're arrogant, you, you think you're the best thing that just got to campus when you're not. So, you know. Right. So
1: so you were teammates with uh, with B-Roy, obviously, you know what I mean? That's another Seattle legend, uh, UW legend for sure. Um, and he was a little bit older than you, right? So did he
2: – He's one oh, younger.
1: Oh, he's one year younger. Okay. See, because I was about to just ask, um, you know, what were some of the influences from like your peers to kind of commit to U Dub, or was that just all you? It didn't matter like who was there uh, who would I tell you. First,
2: I was the first one. I yeah. bet they came after me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got them all in here. Though, though. once we changed the coaching staff, Coach Romar came in. Uh, you know, I, I our team was really dominant when I was in high school. So and I knew all those guys could play here. Um, so, you know, when he, when Coach Bro first got here, I was like, Coach, you got to go see Brandon Roy. You got to go mm. see Trey Simmons. You got to go see Roydale Smiley. He was already committed to USC. Uh, I was like, you got to see these dudes. Like, they can play. And obviously, uh, um, he went to see Trey. Trey was at Odessa in, in Texas. Trey Simmons, who played mm. at Great year. Europe. Uh, Murder. Uh, and I think Trey had had maybe I think coach dollar went to see him and he had 40 something the first time they watched him mm-hmm. and coach dollar came back was like, we got to get that dude. And then, uh, and then when coach went to go see Brandon, ironically, he goes to see Brandon on like a Monday or Tuesday night in Seattle and we're, they're playing like Ingle Moore, not, a, not really a great team. And Brandon was probably in one of his moves. Like the game is easy. And coach came back here and he was like, he's good, but you know, he just doesn't have a motor. So I say, Coach, you got to go see him again. You got to, you got a bad batch. You got to go see yeah. my man again.
1: You said this as a freshman,
2: yeah, or I was a sophomore. Okay. I was going to be. I was going to be. I can't even remember. But he says he goes and sees them again, and I think they played a, our rival or something. And he said Brandon put on a show. He said, "Okay, I see what you're saying," and. Uh, and then, obviously, we were just happy he came because he, you know, Lute Olsen was hot on the rest of his soul. He was hot on mm-hmm. Brandon's trail. Like, he wanted him to go to Arizona bad. Mm-hmm. And at that point, every kid in Seattle thought if you went to Arizona, you was going to the league because Jason Terry just did it.
0: Mm-hmm. Point guard you, man. Mm-hmm. 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 Speaking of that first little wave at UW, like, I think it's safe to say that you were kind of the pioneer to make it cool um, to stay in Seattle, especially for like the Northwest kids, and kind of put the city on your back, as you alluded to. Um, how does that kind of like work in to like your recruiting process now, especially with so many homegrown guys that have came out of Seattle and just good players? Like you got guys like Tari, uh, Marjand, then you got like Zach Levine. You know, of course, Dejounte, C.J. Ellaby, the McDaniel brothers, uh, Malachi. Like, how do you how do you tell them? Or how do you tell certain players, like, in the, in the high school scene, what's kind of your approach with them?
2: Um, it's hard, obviously, because it's, a, it's always hard to be a prophet in your own land. So you mm. you have a lot of people pulling at kids from other places. Um, but what I tell kids is uh, I've known all these guys or their parents since they've been babies, okay? So I, I tell all most of the kids this when you go somewhere else, your business, when you come here, your family. And what I mean by that is when your business and it don't work out, we got to go get the next one. When your family, it has to work out. So, so when your family, we can't just say, okay, I'm going to get the next kid. You know, like, no, we got to get in the gym on Monday. So on Saturday, your ass play better. Makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And when,
2: when you, when you leave and go away and obviously, you know, Shaq, you did it at Arizona state. If there's a kid who's not performing, they're going to go recruit over him. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: We can't recruit over a kid here that's from here because you're not going to get the next one. Mm
0: -hmm. That's just Mm -hmm.
2: how it works. Uh, Obviously, then you just got to, you know, you just got to pour into them. Like, they got to feel the love. Uh, You know, what I notice a lot is, is, you know, the guys that – your former guys that you have, they'll do your recruiting for you. You know, when they walk out of the door, if if there was a lot of love uh, in the relationship – i I don't care about how many baskets they scored or that. If they felt they 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 were loved and they grew up and they matured and and they were nurtured during that important four years uh, span of their lives when they go from being a young boy to a young man, it's important. It's very, it's a very important stretch. It's it's monumental on which direction they go. You know, so so if they know they got someone in their lives that's going to lead them the right way, they'll always speak for you when they walk out of here.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that is like a recurring theme when we talk about Seattle Hoops. We talk about Seattle Hoops quite a lot on on the show and other shows obviously, you know, cuz Shaq and Ron, you know, they're Seattle natives, JD as well. Um and we talk about just how like how deep the talent pool is here and just not just, you know, currently but you know through generations right and um the way that you just explained it it makes a lot of sense you know so when you have like the high schools you have you know the colleges and you have the pros and everybody's doing their part and trying to like get the next generation you know ready for that next level um that's a that's an advantage that not a lot of areas in the United States have um so that family atmosphere that family family approach to things especially when it comes to recruiting right i mean you know this now you know, especially as a, as a college coach, uh, the recruiting craze and like, just, you know, the intense incentives and like the corruption that comes with it. And, you know, it's, it's really all about the parents a lot of times too, right. Where, you know, parents are trying to compete with one another when they have like kids in the little leagues or whatever, and they're willing to get in fights with one another and all this kind of crazy stuff. And now you being a dad of a kid that is, you know, without a doubt going to be, you know, subjected to all this kind of stuff, if not already, how do you manage all of that?
2: Well, number one is we stay in the gym. You know, uh, number two is i he doesn't have any social media. Mm. Um, um, so half the stuff that's posted about him, he's never seen it. He doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. So like, it still surprises him that kids know who he is. So he'd be like, Dad, that dude knew who I was. And they're like, yeah, I know he knew who you were. <laughs> he doesn't know. So I just try to keep him pure. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think, you know, to, to go back to what you just talked about as far as like, you know, parents competing with parents, I think it's because, you know, kids are getting ranked and teams are getting ranked in um, in the, the uh, great school level now, mm-hmm. which, which makes grassroots basketball better and more competitive, but it also makes it a little bit, um, it's, 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 it's making it more dangerous. Because it's not really about the player, it's about the parents and, well, your kid's not that good. Like, I've literally heard a parent to my son say, Why are you scared to guard him? He ain't that good. I've heard a dad say that loud. Now, as a dad protecting my child, you take the coaching thing out. And as a dad protecting my child, do I stand up and say something? Hey, man, don't talk about my kids like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's how something happens. That's mm-hmm. how friction happens at a game. Or, or, you you know, I have no problem with you talking basketball talk, but a, a, my 11-year-old can't protect himself from a 37, 38-year-old. Yeah, why is that grown man saying I'm not that good? Right. You see what I'm saying? And right. that's why you see things happen at basketball gyms and in football fields and wherever else, because it's just more stakes. Everybody wants to walk away. Nobody wants to see their kid put on a highlight tape bad. Nobody, you know what I mean. All the, all this stuff plays a part in it, which makes it more competitive, but it also makes it a little bit more dangerous. As far as and as far as that goes, and a little bit more personable with parents and competing with parents. Like a lot of times, I tell Jamal Crawford, my best friend, him and Brendan Roy, and it. I tell those guys all the time. Um, guys don't want their kids to beat our kids. They're trying to beat us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: like. They couldn't beat me as a player, so now they want to beat my son.
1: <laughs> right.
2: You see what I'm saying? I right. get it. I get it. It just depends on what day I wake up. If I'm, if I'm in one of those competitive moods, I might bring that fire to the gym. If I'm just in a chill mood, I might just sit back and just watch it all manifest. But, you know, I have my days, too, where I'm, I'm like, no, ain't nobody going to say nothing crazy today about my son. Like, I, I'll be boisterous today. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just to kind of put it out there. Just want him to hoop. Just let him hoop. That's all I'm going to say. Just hoop.
0: When you got guys you like, no, when you got guys like, you know, former Kentucky player, um, Keon Brooks coming in, uh, Noah Williams who dropped 40 in the Pac-12, um, Corin Johnson—I hope I said his name wrong. I mean his name right. Um, those guys that are transferring in. How do you feel how pivotal is the new rules in NCAA alongside with the transfer portal going year to year where guys probably aren't happy at their schools? Um and you gotta kinda recruit them to a different situation. Like you said, business versus family. Um, how do you get those out of state guys and how important do you think uh the transfer portal is right now?
2: It's 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 very important and it's the game, you know, it's like um it's like people talk about like I uh, see I hear a lot of older people my age or older than me complain about social media uh, and the usage of it or being on the phone and how much people are stuck to their phone. And I'm like, you better adapt because it ain't going back the other way. So it's just college basketball. You got to adapt, you got to mm-hmm. adapt and you got to try to be the best at that, you know, the transfer portal like that. the, the I, I do like that. The NCAA is, is letting um, people control their own narratives, players and families control their own narratives. I mean, uh, I, obviously I'm a coach, but if a coach can go take a new contract somewhere else and don't, you know, he's not, um, binded to a, one spot, he can get up and go somewhere else. Then I think a player should be able to now with that being said, it, it makes it difficult because you have to recruit your own roster during the season. You know what I mean? Because now everyone's, re, uh, whether it's former trainers, former high school coaches, uh, contact with other uh, universities during the recruiting process they still have those relationships so you know hey man he I see he should have been playing more than 10 minutes man hey man we we, you know what I mean like that's what's going on so it's the game it shouldn't but it's the game so you just have to be you know you have to be aware of it and like I said once when you pour love into your guys then they'll block out the outside noise They'll be like, no, our coach loves him. Coach, coach. Coach pours into me. Coach spends time with me, uh, and I think that's what's most important.
0: You're, um, I'm gonna switch gears here for a second. If you got any more, you know, questions, just let me know. But I, I gotta ask because you best friends with Maul. You best friends with Broy. You know, you you close with it. All, all the all the Seattle guys. <laughs> How many one on one phase would y'all have, and who and who would often win? Because I know you ain't no slouch, and I know you're super competitive, and I know that demon come out.
2: No. Uh, <laughs> you have, have reached heights that you can only dream of, right? But I think all three of those guys to a man will tell you that uh, it, it, in a one-on-one situation with no reps and nobody policing it, it can get pretty nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I, you, we know Jamal is unbelievable. Brandon's so big. He's got so many, so much footwork. Uh, I tell him all the time, you know, when we talk crap, I tell him, man, I taught you all that shit, man. I, don't even, I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I taught you all that, man. He came after me. So I remember he dropped 50 on the Suns, and he was like, I'm the best. Like, our, our crew is called home team. Uh-huh. Like, I'm the best in home team. I'm like, man, I taught you all that. I ain't even worried about this <laughs> man. Which What's crazy is, if you go back and you look at it, Jamal dropped 50. And like a week later, Brandon dropped 50. Or maybe a couple of days later, Brandon dropped 50. And like a couple of days later, I dropped 50-something in, in the minor league. All three of us had 50. It's crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Man, them Seattle Hoopers is different, man. <laughs>
0: That's wild. That's wild. I, I actually got a personal story. You probably don't remember it, but we was playing more. I think it was – um. In one of Maul's tourneys, where it might have been a league, but we was playing you guys in the championship. It was you, B. Roy, Jamal, all y'all was on one team. It was me, my homie Ron. I, I went out there. The first shot I shot was a corner three, and I airballed. And my homie Ron looked at me like, yo, don't, don't, just don't start that shit today. Like, this ain't the day to do that. We'll lose by 150. So I eventually ended <laughs> up, you know, collecting my bearings, and I went crazy that game. I had the opportunity. To hit the game it shot and instead of <laughs> instead of instead of pulling up for a jump shot, I'm like, I'm going to the rack. Can't nobody stop this. I probably got clothesline. It might have been you guarding me, but the rest was like, it ain't no way in hell we giving you this call in that setting. But I said all that to say I was in the bathroom and B-Roy, you guys was in there. I was in there changing. we were about to dip. And you and B-Roy was talking. And he was like, yo, who's that kid on the, on the other team? And you was like, whoop-dee-woo, he going to Arizona State next year. And that was, like, my validation moment. Like, I may not have grew up in the inner city, but I was like, I'm still one of them ones. Like, I'm still one of them guys. Like, it was that solidifying. And I was walking in the, in the parking lot, and I walked past you, and it was actually you. I think it was like a – I ain't going to say the beverage, but you offered me a beverage. And I was like, nah, I, I'm cool. And on the ride home, I was like, Damn. <laughs> I wanted that beverage, but at the same time, I'm like, yo, they, they consider me one of those guys. So that was always a dope moment for me that stuck with me every stage of my career. When there's any self doubt, I'm like, nah, like I'm, I'm solidified.
2: No, I, you know, it's crazy. I remember that. I remember it. I remember you destroying us. You had young legs. You was athletic. You was fearless. And, you know, in those settings, like, you know, sometimes we get to the gym, uh, it's a second or third game. You know, those all-NBA dudes, they be like, hey, man, I ain't got it this one, man. Like, I ain't finna chase that young dude around. Uh, <laughs> and, and you turn around and you turn around, you got 36, 38, and we like, all right, who's who guarding this last play? <laughs> I remember, I mean, Zach Levine, same way. Uh, but one of the things that we we love to do as a crew is we love to see who was coming next. You know what I mean? And then we try to figure out how we can help them you know, cross any adversity that, that they were going to uh come by. So we 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 would like to get your phone number and be like, hey, man, call us, ask us whatever you need, uh, trying to give you the answers to the test before you get ready to take it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's fact. That's love, man. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. always appreciate I mean, that. I think a every thing.
2: kid in the community has Jamal Crawford's phone number. I, I mean, I, I literally do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, there's no kid – in our community that can't say, I can't reach Jamal Crawford. It's unbelievable how he makes himself available to the whole community. Um, and obviously, you know, we all try to do the same thing, uh, you know, but, you know, I work, you know, Jamal's rich already. So he can, you know, <laughs> he, can, he can just pop up at your local community center and, you know, be shooting with his son and y'all can intertwine.
1: Man, it seems like y'all got Seattle sewed up. Uh, from you know, on every level, what, what do we got to do to get the supersonics back, man?
2: I think it's in motion, man. I, I think, I think you won't hear nothing uh, that's solid because when you start hearing things that solid, things get things get delayed. So I think they're trying to keep it really quiet, and I think it's just gonna just boom and it's just gonna be here. Like they're gonna one day you're gonna wake up and they'll say. Uh, the NBA has expanded to Seattle, and I think that's the, kind of the way they want to do it because the, I think when the Sacramento Kings were supposed to move here a few years ago,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think that got out too early. And I didn't want to take the weight of Sacramento Kings team anyway. You don't want to take nobody's NBA team away. You know that how hard that is on a community, yeah. jobs, businesses, uh, uh, diehard fanatics of the, of the sport uh, is hard. Um, I would have been happy to have a team, but I to see a, a team taken from another city and state that would have been that would have been hard. But uh, I say that to say it got out too fast. It got out too fast, and they were able to give Sacramento enough time to stop it.
0: Right. You, so, but go ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead. You.
1: No, well, I was just gonna, you know, ask. So, so you're pretty confident that the the Sonics are gonna, you know, be a thing in the near future, maybe distant future.
2: Fam, I say this all the time. Think about this: five years ago, five years ago, maybe five, could be a little longer. The Seahawks were good, mm-hmm. right? If Durant and Westbrook and Ibaka, not they would have been good. The manners. I think our, our our the storm won the championship and i think that the uh the sounders won the championship so there you would have had five teams sports that would have been elite the city would have been booming
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah man I'm just you five, know
2: just five or six years ago it was a chance to like all the way across the board you could have like been good,
1: yeah. I don't think that's ever been done, right? Every professional uh, team in a city winning a championship, or at least with the chance to,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been major, yeah, yeah. Not five for yeah. sure, not five. Um, real quick question: Which you ended Dodgers up uh... did it. not too long
2: ago? Lakers and Dodgers did it, but I don't think the the Sparks were uh, in the championship, and I don't think uh, their soccer team was was there,
0: right? With, with you ending up at Minnesota shortly after B-Roy um, signed in there, um, can you explain that situation? Was there like – how, how did that go down?
2: So I have played for that staff with the Rockets. So Coach Adelman, uh, um, all his staff, I got really close with them when I was with the Rockets, and they had liked me a lot, but it, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. So uh, a year later, they went to uh, Minnesota, and I go to Minnesota. They, they bring me in on a training camp deal and uh, did really well. Um, but they had uh, J.J. Barea, Rittenauer, um kid from UCLA. He probably played with, when you were at Arizona State. I can't remember. Malcolm Lee. He was right before me. Yeah, it was right before me. And they may have another guard. So it just was, you know, it just, I I just needed to get back in the fold of the league because I went overseas. So I took it, but it was good for me to get out there again. And uh, you know, the staff was like, you know, we'll we'll keep our eye on you. So the next year, they uh, when Brandon had got um, his deal in Portland, however whatever they end up doing to him, he was a free agent and. I had been talking to the staff at Minnesota Steel, and they was like, you know, we want to bring you in, make you play summer league. And uh, I knew the general manager because the general manager at the time was, uh, he was my general manager when I was, with, he was my owner of my Albuquerque Thunderbirds team in the D league, he was now the general manager for Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, so he, me and him was in contact and he was like, you, you know, you think Brandon Roy would consider us? And I was like, I think so. I, I know he wants to play again. And I think that was the team that drafted him if I'm correct. I think the Timberwolves drafted him and then traded mm-hmm. him to Portland. So, you know, there was some, there was a little bit of, you know, history there and uh, they knew me and him was best friends. So, um, you know, I try to, you know, make sure I connected the dots and, and they signed me and then they signed him or they signed him and then they signed me, but it was great. The only problem was we get there and he hurt his damn knee again. So when he hurt his knee, we start the season off five and one or something like that. He hurts his damn knee. They, uh, he can't play no more. And I think our other two guard gets hurt. So they, they call me in the office and they like, Hey, Will, um uh, uh we're going to need your roster spot. We got to go find another two guard. (laughs) So we, uh, they hired, they hired, they put me on staff. They put me as a, they put me as a scout. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we end up signing Josh Howard. We end up signing Josh Howard. You speak on that a little bit because I, I find that
1: extremely interesting. Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier when you was talking about your, your freshman and your sophomore year at UW, where you was already in your coach's ear about, you know, talent that's coming up so it's, it's safe to say that you have an eye for just you know that kind of thing how talk to me about the transition you know you're an active player in the nba uh they don't have a roster spot for you and now all of a sudden you know the coaching staff has that much faith in you to just you know be a, a scout for them yeah. essentially like how quickly does that happen and how did it happen
2: um I, it goes back to when i Played here. I remember. I tell people this story all the time. We were playing UCLA at UCLA, and we were getting ready. It was mid-game, and a fan, a uh, uh, all-timer, that's a fan for UCLA. I think Coach Romar told me to do it. It's been at all UCLA games for years. And I'm coming to the bench, like getting some Gatorade, and I'm walking to the to the back to the bottom of the, the end of the bench to get the Gatorade, and the fan says. Hey Conroy, you're gonna be a great coach one day. Now, when you're a player, that's that's not the shit you want to hear.
1: That's disrespect, yeah.
2: When you're a player, you want to hear you're gonna be a great NBA player one day. Mm-hmm. So when he said it, I was like, what the fuck's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tripping. <clears throat> like, yeah. But as I matured and got older, it's the greatest compliment you can give. To someone because you can coach far longer than you can play. Mm -hmm. And I started to notice every summer I would come home, I would put all the high school guys through workouts. I'll put the top high school guys through workouts. Then I'll start getting and I would bring invite the college guys to come up and do the workouts. And then I would put together pro runs. And then I would work pros out. They would ask me to work them out. So I'm a pro. And half of my day would be dedicated to working pros out. Like I, I was working out Brandon. I was working out Spencer Hawes. I had Nick Collison. I was I down the line. I was working these guys out. So
0: was that the I beginning started, of woodshop?
2: No, a little bit. So that gave me my love for that part of it. So I started to really, uh, I started to really find a a niche in that. And I was like, man, Free of charge. I don't I'm not charging you guys nothing. This is just what I like to do. So uh started doing that every summer I would come back and then I would stay in contact with Coach Rowe and I'd be like, man, I'm starting to like this coaching thing. And he was like, he was like, he always would tell me, play as long as you can because you can't play again. Once you quit, you're done. So uh when I got to what was my last place I played, Germany. Maybe Germany.
1: Yeah, wachter Rasta, wachter
2: Yeah, Rasta wachter yeah. mm-hmm. so I remember calling him like, Coach, I'm done with this. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I was a goal driven person. Europe wasn't never my goals. Money never, not, money never motivated me. My goals motivate me. Um, so the money was coming in. I was, I was making a good living, making money, playing basketball, but it wasn't fulfilling what I wanted. I just had my son. I think my daughter was on the way. I wanted to be around for that. And I called coach and I'm like, I don't love this. I like it. I don't love doing this part. And he was like, well, play as long as you can. I'm like, nah, it's time to start something else. Right. So I love, I'm starting to love that part. I'm starting to love helping others. uh And then, and I came home and then he was like, the, the, the sucky part was I, I didn't, I didn't finish my degree when I was here. So I, arrogant uh senior think he's going to the nba i left school after our last uh tournament game and i was like i'm on this nba trail Work out for 20 something teams and and there's no time for school and i had like 35 credits to complete so Mm. when i got done he was like hey hey you got to complete school so my first year that he hired me i was actually going to school too
1: wow that's dope yeah you know looking at your um like your resume and all of the little stops that you had all the stints it it becomes very obvious obvious that you know you were intentional about staying home as opposed to you know doing your thing overseas um so was was the intent was it was it that intention to you know just always trying to make it to the league or you were just like like what was the if you can give percentages like what was the main reason why you'd didn't want to do the overseas thing. You mentioned you didn't really have love for it like that. Of course, you know, you had, you know, a child and another one on the way. You know, that that obviously weighs into the
2: decision as well, right? As a kid, as a kid, I remember, and obviously you guys can attest to it you guys play. You, 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 you write on your ball, right? You write on your ball, uh, future NBA player, you, you write something on the wall. You got this thing that you look at every day. I used to cut out all the pictures and slam and put them on my walls. I had Iversons. I had all those guys on my wall. That's just what I, that's just what I put. I I put everything into that basket. There was nothing else that I wanted to do, but play in the league. So there was nobody that was going to tell me that I wasn't going to play in the league. So that's just kind of how I was driven. And, and once I did it and got a, and got a taste of it, I was like, I got to continue this now. If if any kids is listening to this, I would tell you this. Change your wording. Don't say you want to make the league. Say you want to make it in the league. Mm. Because I believe if I would have had that mindset, then I probably would have had a 12, 13, 14, 15-year career rather than saying I want to make it to the league. Does that make
1: sense? Mm-hmm. 100%. So you think like the some of the steam that was like, you know, propelling you and pushing you to, to that, you know, to that goal was gone after you had stepped court on you stepped foot on the court with Kobe, for example?
2: I wouldn't necessarily. But you'd be like, damn, I did it. Mm. Or when you finally like, you know, you finally step out the paint to excel, you're like, damn, I did it. Damn, I scored today in the league. Or mm-hmm. I had a three today or I dunked today in the league. You know, rather than saying, like, I'm supposed to do that shit. Right. Supposed to do that. I'm one of the best ever. Like, that's what you should tell yourself. I mean, that's what the maniacal ones do. But, yeah. but, but you know, you speak things into existence, whether, whether good or bad. I tell people all the time, you know, whatever you're telling yourself, whether it's right or wrong, your body's going to follow it. Mm. Today, our team ran the hill. And you if you tell your you, if you tell your body that this hill is hard, your body's gonna follow that. This hill's gonna be hard to run. Mm-hmm. If you say, man, I take this damn hill up, you're gonna go up that hill a couple times.
0: That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Uh can you uh really fastly uh speak to Woodshop and what it is?
2: So Woodshop is a terminology I came up with for my workout, my work, my workout groups that people come in and work and Here's the deal. Like I I say woodshop and think of it like this. Think of big ass lumber trees, right? Big ass like forest pine trees or whatever in in the forest. And think of you having an ax, right? But think about on the top of that tree, every goal that you want it is at the top of that tree, but we got to get it down, right? But there's no way it's coming down off of one swing, Right? So you gotta keep chopping, right? You gotta keep chopping until it come down, ooh, boom, and then all them goals come just trickling down, and you can grab them. Then there's that next tree with them with some more goals, house, mm-hmm. retirement fund, this, and we gotta start chopping again, right? We gotta start chopping again. So that's kind of my mindset on that. That's that's kind of how I envision woodshop. When that's dope. Wood, what we doing?
1: Yeah, that's dope, man. Uh, you know from your highlights and not just your highlights as a player, but also highlights as a coach, right? You are a very intense guy, right? You're very vocal, you know, loud. Um, how does that, because I feel like, you know, we come from that, right? Our generation, you know, that that's typically like the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how does that old school approach to coaching translate for the younger guys, right. Um, that you're coaching right now. And how do they respond to that kind of uh, to that kind of intensity? Because, I feel like, you know, and I and I, I guess I want to fault our generation or the ones that come even before us. Uh, I want to fault them for saying that the younger ones are, you know, a little bit softer than we were just because, you know, they're not going for that most of the time. You know what I mean? They they are locked in more so than we were because they just have all of this access to information, workouts. You know, they Google and stuff, they YouTube and stuff. They know what a good workout is and what isn't a good workout. And so they are super locked in. And so they are more so about the information as opposed to how the information is being delivered. How does your approach translate to the young guys and how do they respond the way that you want them and need them to respond?
2: I think that uh, every kid is different, but every kid wants to be loved. I think that's a constant, right? Mm -hmm. So when, 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 when that's the main thing and you put time into them, it'll help. You know, when they know you love them, they'll run through a wall for for you. When they know it's real, genuine, authentic love, they'll go through that wall for you. I tell the guys all the time, I mean, I'll kiss your ass, but I'm going to kick it too. Mm -hmm. That's how it's going to be. I mean, this is the generation. They can be standing right next to each other and won't speak to each other, but tweet each other or Instagram each other. Mm -hmm. They won't say nothing to each other uh, verbally, uh, physically, but they'll... They'll post each other. Like he'll take a picture of him and then post it, like and it would be in his story. But he wouldn't just say hi to him. So that that's just this 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 era, and it's not going the other way. So we got to figure out how to adapt to it. But here's what I will say. Here's what I noticed with this era of uh, basketball player, and it it kind of alludes to what you were talking about. I think and this is my personal opinion. I think that because there is so much. Um, there are so much resources for these kids and so many other avenues that they can travel, which is great. I think it makes them afraid to put all of their eggs in one basket because they are scared of failure and what Mm -hmm. that would look like socially because society scoreboard is social media. So when you put all your eggs in one basket and when you put it all on the line and you do not succeed, you're embarrassed. And that's not a generation that I was privy to. So I can't sit here and tell you that we wouldn't have did the same thing had we been born 15 years. Since we didn't have all this, it was easy for us to say, I'm putting all my eggs in this one basket. And if I fail, so what? Who fucking sees it? It was easy for us to do it. So it's, it's easy for us to look at them and say, why are you doing that, man? That's crazy. You just got to figure out ways to inspire them to be able to feel free. To like, man, you're okay if you fall. Just get back. Just get up. Try again. Try again. Look at Patrick. He laugh at his antics and all that shit. But my man is, is, is a, is a photo of, of not giving up, of, of not having the most talent, but just willing himself and, and willing teams. And he played in Europe. And I remember watching his mm-hmm. team play in Europe. And it was like, man, he was drafted this and this. And I watched him play in Europe. And then four or five years later, I see him get a deal with the Houston Rockets. And I'm like, man, that's what it looks like. And, and it ain't going to happen for everybody. Everybody's path is different. Some guys are – some guys got to make it through the back door. And it's not an easy door to get through right now. It's not. It's easier for when we came up, but there's so many more good players. So it's it's so easy to be like, you know, all right, man, uh, the next guy, the next guy. So – It is what it is. You just have to figure out ways. I say it all the time. You got to figure out ways to inspire. You have to inspire because inspiration lasts longer than anything you can say. People remember how you make them feel. They don't remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel. And when you Mm. inspire somebody, that shit lasts.
1: Yeah, those are gems right there, man. I I hope somebody's listening and, you know, paying close attention, man. Because, you know, we're talking about mindset. Um, Obviously, you know, life is upward of what? 80%, you know, mental? You know, if you if you know you can do it, if you you see it for yourself, you know, before you actually get you know get it done, then you know you you setting yourself up for success. So, really appreciate you dropping those gems, man.
0: I'm a for sure. I'm a for sure. Let all the high schoolers in my DMs, you know, asking me, "You got any advice?" I mean, I'm gonna just tell them to go tap into this interview because everything that you're saying it resonates with me because mm. it like mirrors my journey in the way that I was thinking. And like you said, like once I went to summer league, I was already like damn, it's not the NBA, but I feel like, all right, I played in a game. So then I'm like, all right, I guess I'm about to go dominate Europe. But that was the difference. It was like, okay, I just want to taste the NBA, but I'm about to go dominate Europe. And now that I'm here in Europe, I'm like, I, I you know, every time I step on the court, I'm like, can't none of y'all really mess with me for real. And it's really easy. But that was my mindset every single day because it's like, to me, the pinnacle was the league. So when I fell a few pegs down, it's like, Oh y'all don't even know like what you know like what I'm trained to do in the words of Kevin Hart and I'm like I'm gonna assassinate y'all and uh so that's dope mm-hmm. that's dope hearing that um and just a really quick switch gears um I know you got to get up out of here soon um we had Mike James on the show a few episodes ago um he went he went super dope viral <laughs> um he had a quote about Steph calling him one dimensional you know Mike I know Mike everybody know Mike um was that one of the moments where you was like Damn, or was that like? <laughs> I see his point. Essentially,
2: I have I, I seen it both ways. You you can't say anything about Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a bad man, mm. uh, and I think that what Mike James was trying to say. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he was trying to say people. Some people get it a little harder than Steph. Like uh, they they created a little like because they always have the ball. And they got to do it with the ball in the hands, i.e. Harden, i.e. Irvin. But what Curry does is he's so dynamic um, because your whole defense has to pay attention to him all game long. He creates so many points. Even when he does not score, he's creating points because three guys may go to him. And then uh, there might be a layup for somebody. I'm watching the finals the other day. And he's just sprinting off the screens all game and guys are just walking in for layup. So you can't even you can't even look at just his points. His imprint on the game is just it's so impactful. Um I, I don't know. I mean, I love Mike, I love Mike to death, but Steph just got four, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all
2: right. Steph just put himself in a in a in a group of of gentlemen that you can't really say too much about a Steph Curry. You can't. Right. You just gotta, you just gotta praise. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Yeah, praise.
1: Steph. Steph, a different type of animal, man. You, you know what? Uh, Shaq was talking to me about this earlier, man. Um, he was talking about Steph. That is, he was talking about how he uh, maybe stole one or two of of Lil' Will's moves or whatever. Do I? Are you familiar with that story?
2: I am. I'd seen he had. He had uh, they they posted that video on Baller's Life, and Steph said, "I think Steph said I just learned. I think I just learned two moves." It's oh yeah, like I never showed my son that. To like maybe two months later, I didn't. Even <laughs> like I said, I want to keep him pure, you know. And when he meets these guys, I want him to be like a kid, right? You know? Because obviously we have access to, you know, resources. Jamal brings all these guys in for pro am, and we meet him. We get to meet him. So when he meets him, I want him to feel like, oh my god, I just met Steph Curry. Not like, hey man, you saw my video. You said this about my video. No, mm. be like a kid and be happy and. And pure and authentic, and that's what I want for him.
0: Ah, oh, that's but, fire. Speaking of the pro, I heard a big fish coming.
2: Yeah, I, I heard that too. Um if he the does, biggest fish. We, had, <laughs> we actually have elite camp this week, uh, so it would suck because I wouldn't be able to go. Mm. Um, but but at the same time, uh if he does decide to bless our city with his presence, um, that would be big time. Um because it's a it's a big void in our city. We have all these NBA guys and we have no team. And I remember growing up and Gary Payton was a big part of my life early. I went to his camps when I was little and I played for Gary Payton um uh All-Stars. Um so he was a big part of my life being able to go to a Sonic game was a huge part and that 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 made me want to play in the league like that. You know, being able to go down there and watch Iverson come in town or the Sacramento Kings and Mitch Richmond and all those guys come in town and Sharif Abdul Rahim, I wanted to be a part of that. And I remember Gary Payne's All Star game uh, he used to have at the Key Arena. Uh, he let me ball boy, and it was Penny Hardaway, Weber, and I'm passing balls, but I'm like, man, I got to get here. It was mm-hmm. the first, it was right before I started ninth grade. I was like, man, I have to play in the league. So our, when our kids get to see that, you know, they if they get a chance to see him come in, I'm, I'm not sure if he's coming or not, but it would be great. But it drives you. It drives you. Like if a kid came in and like there's some like there's like five kids in that in that audience that's gonna be like, I'm going to be LeBron James. Now you may not be LeBron James, you might be Marjon Buchan. Uh, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That's
2: pretty damn good though, right?
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Pretty damn good. I remember Mar walking in the gym and doing it. I remember Zach Levine being a kid going to the program. It happens. It happens like one guy may, may be the, the person that sparks that kid to be great. I I
1: have a final question about, you know, because you've been dropping gems nonstop and uh, I kind of want to continue to tap into that when it comes to, you know, the kids. Um, if, I mean, I did my research on you, obviously, and I've read something where you started off as a shooting guard and then in college, they kind of switched you to a point guard. Um, and you wasn't really with it all the way. So basically what I'm trying to ask is, when you see something like that and you look at it as or you're faced with adversity how do you what's your advice for younger guys to or girls to you know not look at adversity as like a roadblock, but more so as a challenge and then you know obviously with challenge comes opportunity to kind of just diversify and you know maybe it opens you up to something that's completely you know on a different lane but you have much more success in that lane that you hadn't even thought before. Like how how do you, uh, you know, what, what's your advice for, for a young, uh, a young athlete?
2: I think, I think that you, I think there's a level of stubbornness that you have to have, uh, as far as like, no, I'm going to be good at this regardless. Like you're not going to tell me I'm not, but then there's also a level of coachability that you have to have. and. That's the fine line that you have to find and that's where you have to have good people in your corner um, that don't need nothing from you. That's going to give you honest, uh, honest, honest truth. And for me, I had Jamal, I had my friend, Alvin snow played overseas. That's an agent. Now I had Brandon and I have all these, all these guys that tell you the honest truth. And I remember when coach Romar was like, I think my sophomore year, he had told me like, cause I, I think my sophomore year, I was probably our leading scorer or second leading scorer. And then my junior year, he was like, you're not going to score that much this year because we have good players around you. And I wasn't hearing that. And I, he didn't start me the first five games uh, my junior year. And then I remember coming in and we didn't start the season that well. And I remember coming in his office. He's like, you ready to be a point guard now? Cause our team, <laughs> our team needs a point guard and you have the ability to do it. And, and instead of, packing my shit up and running and trying to transfer, I said, let's see how it works, because I knew I could do it, but I just uh, scoring gets more attention. So what I did not know is winning gets the most attention. Mm. So once I start becoming a point guard, we start winning and everybody started to get noticed. And then I found I fell in love with making people better. It goes back to being this, this coach where I, I fell in love with getting people better making him come off screens and then just becoming a leader and being okay with that and being comfortable in your skin and doing it. And I tell, like, I tell my son this, I'm like, you create what's cool. You don't have to follow a status quo. You can create what's cool. Like uh, you can, you can tie your shoes where both leathers touch each other on, on the side where there's no shoestring showing and you can wear your pants up really high and you can tuck your jersey in. and you do the right things. And then you, and you bust an ass. Every kid in America will follow what you look like. You can create what's cool. If you just do it, you don't have to follow nothing. And that's that's kind of my mindset, and that's kind of what I like to teach and, you know, to answer your question, like adversity is going to come. How you handle it, you, you got to have good people in your corner that tell you the truth, and then you have to be willing to accept coachability. I mean, you, you have to be willing to accept coaching because if you got good coaching, you know, they're going to lead you the right way.
0: Thanks. Dope, dope. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't got nothing left other than I'm gonna be selfish right now. And what what would be your advice for for me? I feel like I struggle with leadership and leading, especially like overseas. Like I'm I'm looked at upon as one of the leaders, but like when I get in that situation, it makes my skin boil or the hair stand up on on my neck, and I'm just like, oh, I feel awkward. It feels it feels wrong as far as people looking for me. But I can lead with actions, but it's not really the same as being a vocal leader or, you know, kind of just stepping up and like, hey, we doing this. We doing this now. Um, Is there any advice that you kind of always have that? Or is that something that you matured and learned?
2: I've always had it. My mom is loud and she's a leader. She's been a leader of the community for forever. She was cheerleading coach of every football team I played for. But here's what I here's what I'll tell you, because I've watched guys transitioning and being leaders brandon roy was really quiet and then he became a leader i would say to you find something one thing particularly that you're as a non-negotiable for you and then you pick that one thing and you lead that so whatever it is that you find on the courts you like man we just we ain't doing that like, i ain't gonna say nothing to you guys about like that, but no no we ain't doing that though And you find that one thing and then that'll make you comfortable because that's something you can speak on every single time. Like, no, no, no. Cause I'll never do that. And then once you get comfortable doing that, find another thing. And then before you know it, it'll be about four or five categories and you, you'll be leading all of them.
0: Dope. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. This
1: has been, I mean, it's crazy. I know we're at the end of our, our time, Shaq. I, I'm not trying to cut this short if you got some more stuff, but you know, I just wanted to say uh, real quick, man, this is probably one of my favorite conversations that we've had on, on this show, man, This Obviously, man, it's been nothing but gems and, and and good info, and I hope our viewers and listeners got got something from this. Uh, you know, um, it's been it's been absolutely phenomenal. I feel like, man, so appreciate your time, man. Absolutely, thank you for guys sure. for
2: having me, man. You guys doing awesome, man. You guys being worldwide. I'm hearing you guys. I'm seeing y'all everywhere.
1: We trying, man. We trying. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure.
2: yeah. That, that's all. That's all, Shaq. Though, you. man, he's the man with
1: the vision. You know?
2: Yep. That's all right. There you go. You're in this, Shaq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, one, one, you, one last
1: thing though. Hold <laughs> on, well, hold on. One last thing though, right? Because it's kind of tradition for a player's choice to, you know, we we kind of nasty with it. So I want to put you in a, and you know, in a in a hot spot for a second. If you can give me, and you you could say, you know what, I'm not doing that because I'm just solid like that. But if you will indulge me and give me the best players to come out of Seattle. Like a top five or something like that. You don't have to rank him. You could just list off some names or whatever, because obviously you know young generation in there as well. You know Apollo, Dejounte, Zach, um, but even you know the older generation. I mean, y'all y'all got some Hoopers. So I, I want to know, man. From from the steward of Seattle, it seems like man. It seems like you like the gatekeeper of the, of everything over here.
2: I think there's about four guys that are that are going to be on everybody's list. Okay, Roy, mm-hmm. Crawford. Terry and uh, Isaiah Thomas. So those four will be on everybody's list as Nate Robinson, five. They'll be on everybody's list, right? So then you start going back down the line. I mean, John Stockton is from Spokane, Washington. Can, is anybody better than John Stockton? Yeah. <laughs> is anybody better than Stockton? You start looking at the written hours of the world. Like there's so many of them, but I think those. Five, I'm not forgetting somebody, I probably am, but those five I would probably name for me, Nate, it Roy, Jason Terry, Crawford. Those are those would be my five. Anyway, does Michael Porter count as a Seattle guy? He went to Nathan Hill High School,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I,
1: I'll leave that up for the Seattle guys to decide <laughs> that, but yeah,
2: DeJounte Murray had a 30 and 30 game in high
0: school. Has mm. that ever
2: been done? 30 rebounds. <laughs>
0: I don't know. No, that's a fact. That's a fact. All right. Uh, But we'll let you get up out of here. Thanks a lot, though.
2: I appreciate you guys, man. Yes, sir. You
0: too.